UX Podcast Episode 178. You're listening to UX Podcast, coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden. We are your hosts, James Roy Lawson. And Pan Axbom. With listeners in 173 countries, from Australia to Kenya. Veronica Samito is a director of UX research at Electronic Arts. Veronica's passion is understanding what makes players tick and how we use that information to design better games. And if gaming's not your area of expertise, we can mention that Electronic Arts was founded way back in 1982 when I got my first computer, actually, uh, and is behind blockbuster titles such as FIFA and NHL, The Sims, (laughs) Need for Speed, and Star Wars, Knights of the Old Republic. At at Electronic Arts, um, Veronica is responsible for defining the UX research processes um, and what best scientific methods um, for assessing UX um, is at Electronic Arts. I can't say any of the names of these... um, places and companies today. Uh, but anyway, we sat down to learn more from uh, Veronica at the DICE Stockholm office. Um, DICE is um, a Swedish subsidiary of Electronic Arts. What is game user research and how did you get into it? Yeah, game user research is a, it's a very young discipline. It's actually a, a term that was coined about five years ago. What it is, is about doing player experience research for video games. So trying to know, is the game engaging? Is the game fun? Are people being able to get their win around the game easily and it's not obstructive? Really, there has been more milestones about even like 10 years ago where the first events, uh, conferences, summits, the first editorial books came up about this discipline. But even in the game industry, it's still very, very young. Mm. My background is in psychology, and I was a licensed psychologist, doing clinical practice. It's actually very interesting, but it's also a very draining activity. Mm. Uh, and I was already a gamer, and that was kind of the release outlet. And I could be playing the games and notice that, oh, something on the screen happened. I could able to explain this with uh, this psychological theory, color theory, group dynamics, you know, at the time playing World of Warcraft, like mm-hmm. you could see all the different roles in uh, group psychology and even so- sociology that they were appearing in, in these media. So I started to pay more attention into, I, actually I can make a lot of sense on video games with the background that I have in psychology. And I'd say, well, wait a minute. I cannot be the first person thinking about this. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the internet, like psychology, video games. And yes, of course, there was uh, people working on this, doing research on this. Uh, and I tend to be more passionate about it and to the point that I wanted to just I turn my career and you know leave aside clinical psychology and just trying to dedicate all the time for applying the psychological uh, theories into video games. So when, so when you're doing games user research, is that something you do uh, on a game that's already been produced, or is it ahead of a new game? 
being mm-hmm. produced, which is the which is the starting point. Like any other good UX researcher will tell you, is that as early as possible. Mm-hmm. So definitely, we do a lot of research for games that are in development. Uh, we want to be working throughout the whole development process, and, and even once the game goes live, to also continue. Uh, doing research on that so it's from the very early on from concept phase to the very early prototypes uh, after that you have a a build working um, and once it's out there also keep keep doing research how common is it uh, to use the term ux in game development because i'm thinking now that we we love to use the term gamification in ux so that's sort of the other way around from from what I'm hearing is that you're actually applying UX now to ga- the gaming industry uh, in a way that perhaps hasn't been done before because my thinking before was that well, gaming was way ahead of us when it comes to UX because they were thinking along these lines of gamification long before uh, the web came along. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, it, it's true and it's funny. And mm. even though in the in the spirit of producing a game, it was always an idea that was a player and even the ideas of play testing has been always there for a, for a quite long time. But it was very disorganized. It was still a lot of the, you know, from a design perspective, it was the designer guts and some could be more about the making the game as they thought it was the a dream situation and not necessarily thinking about all the users or people who wanted to do a massive game but not necessarily have the the tools to talk about it. So it has been a concept around as a premise but not necessarily as a UX as a term. Hmm. And it's actually, it has been a lot of increase on using the word UX again in the last few years. And it is still quite messy in the sense that you go around the, the different game companies and you talk to a designer and doesn't necessarily will say, feel like it's a UX designer, but it's a game designer. Mm. But they are doing a lot of those components. Uh, the other common struggle uh, that also in the in the bigger UX world about UI UX. Mm-hmm. Are you ask, do, you, do you have a kind of common understanding of what UX means in the gaming industry? It's still all over the place. Mm. Uh, it's still <laughs> quite a messy map of what UX mm. means and who does UX and the different roles. Uh, job titles will tell you little to none of who really does UX. Mm. So it's it's appearing more into UX, mm. but uh, it's still very distributed of who does it. So when you when you are the director of user experience, what is your responsibility? As a director of UX research, yeah. is primarily into uh, having a, a team of researchers who work very closely with the designers. So we they are our stakeholders. Uh, they are involved throughout the planning for the whole game in terms of how we're going to be evaluating, how we're going to be assessing the player experience and in collecting that data and making sure that there are actionable components out of that. It's a way of validating the design, but also 
racing that maybe players want to do something else. Mm. Um, so we we do bring a, a lot of people into the studio as our participants. So we bring the players, they will get their hands on with the prototype, a, an early build of the game. We call that feedback. Um, there would be a lot of the methodologies that people are familiar with, of course, tailored to tap into concepts like fun and collect all those informations and working how to make, and make a, a better game for that. I was thinking about how, because um, with gaming, you've we got the gamification aspect, and and that requires um, kind of an understanding of of the, the the boundaries of the game. So, what are the the, the rules of the of the game according to you? And um, for, for when researching, this must add an extra layer to it. I was, I was reading the other week about how oh, Battlefield, uh, which is one of the games that that this is, um, oh, um, company develops that there was the the, um, the issue of um, was it in in I don't know all the names of all these things I'm not a gamer the the things you buy in the game so in not in app purchases but the 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 boxes or something you buy in the game yeah yeah um that um it, it got it was kind of incorrectly or they felt like it was wrong it wasn't kind of fair so you guys maybe researched it wrong how did you research it how do you learn how do you learn the world that the gamers believe in because mm-hmm. testing, I guess, when you bring in to test a prototype, then it's not really the same. It's like when we have the problem when you bring someone into a lab to do some usability testing, it's not the real world. Yeah. Whereas you've got the real world and the real world in the real world as in the gamer's real world. Mm. Yeah. Did that make sense or that? Oh, if I, if I got your question correctly, <laughs> the question is, how do we, if there's any arrangements that we do for testing games while they're in development and acknowledging that that is not the finished product, but it's still being able to be as predictive as possible on how people are going to yeah, How do you learn uh, that shared beliefs? Yeah, how, do you, mm-hmm. how do you understand how the, the gaming community that's, gonna, that's maybe already exists or going to rise up around the game? How yeah. do you learn about that world in your research? It is a great question. I think that everyone in UX struggles with that, or is it one of the challenges to, to overcome? So we definitely work in a very iterative design mm. manner. So we are constantly doing tests for the game from the UX research perspective. In average, we test each game's every two weeks and you know there are a lot of weeks throughout uh, Mm. the whole development process and making sure that we test all the content because also the scope of the games are are huge like the games that we make at EA have like multiple modes Uh, they're like very rich products yeah you're not expected to complete them in three days not at all to play them over months yeah they or forever. Or forever. <laughs> well, I guess that's... Yeah. You, you could keep playing, yeah, yeah. If you love that game, like, you know, yeah. keep mm-hmm. playing. Uh, but yeah. it, it is meant to be a, a really long mm. experience. Um, so definitely the iterative design and, and research for that would be a way to look at the different angles of the, of the content to make sure that we're covering all, mm. the, all the ground uh, on that. Also bringing different type of players. So... Mm. We'll bring people who are veterans on on that particular game or people who are like completely new to the game. So making sure that we have our 
target audience, that we're starting with segments, uh, and try to make sure that we also cover all the ground. There are like different methods that obviously we will use from you know, your good old one-on-one usability sessions. Uh, but also then we, we have to go to a point where we need to tap onto more the appreciation of the game or you know how satisfying it is to play this game. And for that, of course, we have to get more people uh, playing the game to have a, a larger sample for that. Uh, then many times we have the, the luxury of having games that can go into beta. So those are, the game is not released yet, it's getting close, it's still a polishing mm. that needs to do, but a lot of gamers around the world can play that better and then we can also collect more information to make those uh, changes and keep doing that adjustment. Um, and after that, then the game would be launched and it would mm. be live. And if we did our due diligence, we should see a continuous mm. of, of improvement or that, that sentiment that was there it, right. it is out mm. there in the world. So the huge benefit of the beta is that you get so much data about the users, really. Yeah, but it, what, what it's is the it? constant and the in the going exactly. there. Yeah. What would be some of the key performance indicators? Because you mentioned fun, and I mean, there's one that I particularly hate in, in the UX world, which is delight, but mm -hmm. it's more relevant, of course, in the gaming world. I mean, do you measure like those soft things? And do you have a formula for it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we do have in-house formula of, mm. of what that means. Mm. Uh, yes, yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> KPIs are are definitely very important to mm. know. You know, are are we doing better? Are we r really shaping the experience as we want it? Mm. So uh, I think that what you just asked is one of the challenges that we have in in the game industry. Like task performance is is not enough. Mm. Uh, did you find what you were looking for? Mm. It's <laughs> not enough. Uh, so task completion, uh, it doesn't tell you much. No, especially because you don't, you don't want them to complete the game in a day. So if, if the goal was right. task completion and fast, then your game's finished and over and dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so for sure the tutorials you, you know, help mm. you to understand, but yes, you want, you want them to have a good time. You want it to keep continue playing as they as they want to and uh, people have different play styles can we even like fulfill that mm. so there are concepts that you know as face value you know we can in the game industry you will see commonly use uh, fun frustration challenge as mm. common kpis people will collect and then you can go into more nuances on what this game is trying to convey so some of the games that we have, for instance, have to do with the realism of the game. Mm. Uh, or they have to be, uh, they are taking you to the fantasy world. Mm. Uh, do you feel that you are there? Um, challenge, are you hitting the sweet spot? You have, if it's mm. too easy, it's not going to be good. If it's too hard, it's not going to be good. So you have to mm. be in that middle flow stage. Uh, and then there are some other theories out there that um, people in the game industry utilize to explain what's a fulfilling experience. Um, you have the self-determination theory, uh, you have the flow theory, so you can start deconstructing those concepts mm -hmm. into specific questions or mm -hmm. items that then you will collect in a scale from one to five and get mm -hmm. your KPIs from there. How would you think about 
the whole point of these games is, I mean, they've got to be entertaining, mm-hmm. it's said, and f- fulfilling and make you want to continue. How, how do you deal with or talk about the balance there between entertaining and um, the desire to continue and addiction and the, be- the game becoming an obsession? Do you do you research that? Do you discuss that about you know backing off maybe from a certain point when you notice it's it's too much? Yeah, that's definitely a, a, a common question to ask. You know, are game strain addiction? Are this taking you down a wrong path? There's always like a checkpoint that you know from a moral point of view that I I don't want to work on a product have a product that is going to be detrimental to another human being mm. uh, so it, it is always kind of like a filter uh, about you know, what are we creating and at the same time is, is this uh, an enjoyable experience uh, so how we translate this to to other medias uh, you know there are also like reading a lot of articles and in case of you know what creates uh, addiction or what creates uh, aggression, you know, what filters people mm. do have for that. Yeah, th- there's a lot of literature out there as well on that. N- nothing is really conclusive about, yes. Well, I know we've, we're this, that's been, a, as parents, you kind of come up against yeah. this kind of talk constantly about, yeah. like, violence in video games yeah. doesn't make you violent and, mm. and all stuff. But at the same time, as a psychologist and as, as UXers, we, we know about how you can, you can design things in a certain way which encourage certain behavior, mm. and we can design things to, 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 to make it more addictive or more, um, more frequently used, mm. um, that you're maybe not completely in control of yourself. And it's always that fine balance between, you use the words addiction, but also obsession, mm. but mm. also, I mean, it's your passion. So, I mean, in the gaming industry today, contrary to when we were kids, because we were just kids playing games, now there are lots of adults playing games. And it games. wasn't connected. I mean, back then it was... Exactly. It was a single machine. Now I'm thinking some people actually go to these games because they want to be obsessed. They want that engagement. So, I mean, that's, that's a really difficult thing to, to, I don't know, counter in your design and think about... Do, shouldn't I allow them to play or should I allow them to play and who draws the line and who's a, accountable for that and who takes responsibility um, is that something that the gaming industry should be taking responsibility for more or should there be more policies do you think I think it would be good to have guidelines or white papers into what do we know mm. uh, and there's a lot of research being done in academia that a lot of those are also in collaboration mm. with the game industry. Mm. Uh, there are fantastic uh, work also from the International Games Developer Association to look at different uh, topics uh, to make sure that also the game industry does good sanity checks in terms of uh, topics. For instance, another one is with uh, inclusion, accessibility, so all these hot mm-hmm. topics uh, mm. we definitely have to take it into account and make sure that we know we don't fall into dark patterns so if we do realize that it is something that again it would be uh, detrimental that we are uh, on top of that mm. it, it is interesting that you know you say like oh there's uh, an addiction that they want to you know go online and it's uh, in any case in this 
term of age where everyone is social interconnection that mm. everything is online it is going to have a natural component that people want to go and, and play with friends and it's yeah. also that's a way more enjoyable activity so if you're going to uh you know play with each other that you want to play with your friends and you're going to also mm -hmm. be like fostering social relationships and uh people even meeting online and then continue those relationships mm. uh, offline. And also those, those, those friends in the games are friends, even if they've never met them exactly. physically in exactly. real life. They do create a network of support. Mm. So I think that we need to take into consideration all the different aspects. Mm. We have to be mindful of what we're creating and ensuring that we're not going down a rabbit hole of dark patterns. And we also need to acknowledge the components and the interconnection that we create with human beings that now... Uh, any social communication happens, particularly online and you know, Snapchat and mm. Facebook exactly. and uh, yeah. everything there. And we are expecting to have that kind of connection. If, if we also put barriers to meet your friends online, that it is going to isolate people, it's going to be a way of not sharing. Mm -hmm. So there is also that uh, we know that there are also benefits to enrich people's life by allowing them to connect with other people, get to grow their network. Um, and another kind of research that uh, it is also known that is positive that people who play video games have better hand-eye co hand coordination. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So uh, they are also better at spatial skills. Mm. Um, so. Yeah. I've heard we, of surgeons who are gamers, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I suppose if, if we think about yeah. it, uh, gaming, mm. like Facebook as well, that these are, these, a game is something you invest a lot of hours in. Or, mm -hmm. or, or if you've succeeded with a game development, then it's going to be something you invest mm. hundreds, if not thousands of hours in. And similar with Facebook. Um, you know, people now are spending, what, two hours on average on Facebook a day something I know I'm making yeah. this figure up now from the top of my head but it's, it's hours every day that mm. people are spending so you're, you're creating a, um, a digital uh, artifact or world which has these extra components it's not just about using it and completion tasks it's not just about um, addiction or mm. enjoyment you've mm. got social aspects mm. to it as well and other layers that are not at all maybe connected with the original idea of why you produced this platform or this or this game yeah mm. and it's also a part of like defining what you like defining your your hobby mm. you have people who uh, will even like do cosplay of different game characters mm. Mm. Uh, and then have that moment of enjoyment mm. uh, i also was very curious about even with um games that actually rely on geolocation so like, like pokemon go yeah, exactly. and yeah. it was like a massive phenomenon mm. and you know people out there i know getting to know each other mm. uh, so i think that there's a a lot of different avenues and potential so it's i think everyone in the design has to be like you know what, what can we create mm. what can we provide and what are people enjoying nowadays what are the new expectations where are the minimum convenient things that, that we require and that reaching out to other human beings with less barriers is, is one of those. One final question for me, because uh, I loved what you said about the sweet spot. You said uh, an interface can't be too difficult and it can't be too easy, at least in the gaming world. Would you say that even in the normal UX world that people are taking too little consideration uh, or 
into this because they're, they're thinking that it has to be easy. So they're making everything really easy. And they're not adding, I'm realizing this is a leading question. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe like jump there because yeah. uh, the yeah. first word that you said mm. was uh, the interface. Yeah. And actually, what I meant mm. it has to be is more about what we call gameplay, yeah. which could be the mm. the mm. system mm. of mechanics of mm. what they are mm. what you are supposed to do in mm. the game. So I would distinguish the gameplay system mm -hmm. in terms of uh, the challenges versus the interface, like something that the HUD interface or the menu as, as the interface. True, because then you, yeah, cause you've got mm -hmm. a usability aspect mm -hmm. of, exactly. the, of the interface, mm -hmm. which you need to yeah. make workable and, and easy, mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, yeah, the, the game itself or the, the, the world in which you've created has to be, has to find a sweet exactly. spot. Exactly, <laughs> so the interface would be the, the keyboard in that sense that you're using special keys to, as your controller, but the, the world which you're playing is something else. That's the workflow the process that you're going through. Exactly. Mm. Exactly mm. what you guys mm. said. Like, mm. usability mm. is there still mm. for mm. your menu navigation, mm. for your mm. controller, and that should be simple, and that should still should be easy. Mm. And then you use that to do a processes with the gameplay, different actions and different flow mm. and different activities. Mm. Uh, and that's where you have to hit that sweet spot mm. that uh, you have to feel that you are being pushed a little bit with that challenge, but that you're able to overcome that. So there are, for instance, different difficulty levels in the games, or when people play online, trying to be close to each other uh, from a skill point of view with other mm. players in uh, multiplayer games. Mm. If I can have one last question. You then. may, yes, James. You had the one last question. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I want to get the final world out of that. But um, so talking about sweet spots, mm -hmm. um, when you're doing um, user research in gaming, what's, what gives you your sweet spot? What's the bit of research that yeah, you really enjoy and it's really good fun? So nowadays I, I don't conduct research myself. So I think that even like the sweet spot from the role is that I particularly working at EA is that we have so many awesome games that I can I can get to get my, my hands dirty and take a peek on all these different games and being able to connect the dots even uh, outside particular games into you know what are satisfying experience overall and if we take about all the different shooter games or the different sports games and actually seeing, you know, what, what makes a, a great game. Mm. So, yeah, working with fantastic cre creative people, that's also great. And researchers who are smart and inquisitive, but also very passionate about the work that we do. A lot of the people have to be with this sweet spot as well. It sounds like loads of fun. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, very welcome. Thanks for having me. So I love how there are such clear similarities with uh, a lot of the work that we usually tend to look as you look upon as UX work, but also that there are tons of differences. Like, but 
yes, Veronica has a psychology background, and we tend to pull a lot from psychology nowadays when we talk about UX. And she also talks about the importance of continuing, continuing to perform UX research after launch, which we also push for a lot. Uh, I was a bit surprised, I have to say, by her saying that uh, UX in the gaming industry is quite kind of immature. Yeah, I she thought was saying they like were... five, ten years, wasn't it? She was saying. Yeah, like, I thought they were ten years ago way ahead of us. Yeah. yeah, and that made me think, listening back to the interview, how gaming has always been driven by enthusiasts. The people who want to play the games are the ones building them. So I think it's also I... dev-driven, isn't it? I mean, you've got the the developers. So the ones playing, looking looking back historically, the ones mm. playing were also very, no, not geeky, yes, but oh, maybe it is okay to say geeky. Very very yes. much involved in the in the computer world, and the ones who were playing were often people mm. also who were interested in programming. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so, and and that we don't get a lot of that. I, that. I I for some reason thought of Thirty Seven Signals because they've written all these manifestos about how it's good to build what you yourself want. Uh, and sometimes we get that, but sometimes we're building stuff that we never will use ourselves, which is a, which is a completely different thing. Mm. I think I'm most also, people in the in the in the gaming industry actually enjoy games. Yeah, I think it's also worth reflecting on the fact that the, that the the gaming industry is the entertainment industry. Yes. So so you've mm. you've got a very different. Um, level of, of enthusiasm or, or um, your interest in participation is, is different compared mm. to uh, maybe doing UX for a government service for, for tax returns. Exactly. You're, I mean, here you're actively seeking out to be entertained, to actually spend some time, which made your question about addiction very interesting to me as well, because then I realized we are seeking out addiction. We actually want addiction. We want to be obsessed because that's what is enjoyable about it. But well, that's the whole definition of addiction, pair, isn't it? I mean, you've got the the dopamine that comes, the the, the chemicals that are released in your head mm. that that drive addiction also drive you to hunt more of that feeling. So, so exactly. yeah, you're not going to get addicted to to the tax authorities' website, <laughs> but they would want you to get addicted to their website. <laughs> We're going we're gonna to have to ask our friends that work with the Swedish um, yeah. tax authority website and see, and see whether they actually do deliberately try and get people addicted to filing their tax returns. Yeah. It might be a successful strategy. But it was but, also interesting because we always talk about, I mean, as parents as well, how addictive gaming can be. Mm. But maybe gaming nowadays is even more social than social media because in gaming you're actually interacting, you have a common goal, you're scheduling, you're talking to people constantly. So it's more social now, gaming, than it was, of course, 15, 20 years ago. So I mean, compared to, compared other, to other Facebook or... Online, yeah. Yeah, I mean, compared to Facebook mm. or, or um, Instagram, um, you know, things like Roblox, um, you know, which which my kids play a huge amount. I mean, that's incredibly social. They do things like run their own um, pizza shops. I mean, they they yeah. go through. They have schools and they do through, go through school days and they self they self organize and they 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 have management and they have people kind of consuming and they plan and they're all chatting. I mean, my daughter's talking on um, on Snapchat. She uses mm. Snapchat for audio. I mean, your kids use a different. They, they use, use Discord. Else. Yeah. Yeah, um, so she's on Snapchat at the same time as she's playing Roblox, and they're teaming up with people from multiple schools, multiple countries. And it, it's very, very social. It is. And they're learning so much about the future workplace, how mm. they're actually going to work and schedule meetings in, in the future. They probably are. But um, a, a, another reflection from what Veronica was talking about was also there, um, how they... Um, she, she very clearly split the UX of the user interface from the UX of 
the, the, the gameplay, the content, as she called it. Um, I mean, of course, you, you've, you've got to be able to control a, a game and, and it's got to be able to work um, or you're not going to enjoy it. But um, if, if you can control it, that doesn't matter if the if the content itself, if the levels and the and the story in the game isn't compelling, exactly. you're not gonna you're not gonna care whether you can move your character through the through the world. Yeah. And so she also was... talked she talked a lot about stuff that I talk about also that task completion actually doesn't tell you much. Because there are different yeah. play styles, there are different goals. It's about fun and frustration and challenges. It's not about completing tasks. And it's not always in, in the world that you and I usually delve into either because it's we have to realize what is the end goal not just completing the task on the on the website exactly that the, the mm. task is maybe part of a bigger picture yeah um and at, you you tried to get you tried to get it to to reveal um uh, well you asked about the formula for delight if they had one oh yeah she, exactly she said yes they I know do she have said an in-house formula. formula for delight but she didn't tell you it <laughs> So I'm I'm curious about exactly how how um, how that formula looks and yeah. um, and what they use exactly to work it out. So your formula for subscribing to UX Podcast and getting more content from us is visiting our website at uxpodcast.com or just searching for UX Podcast in Google and you'll find all our different social media accounts. Um, and check out the show notes. Uh, we'll. we'll provide links. I don't know if we have any links for this show, I realize, but we'll provide more stuff. Uh, in There's the always notes. links, Pat. There's, There's always, always links. links. <laughs> uh, and we, um, yeah, so if you want to get in touch with us as well, because we like getting emails from you, we don't like getting emails from spam bots, so uh, we're going to take away the contact form from our website. But instead, you can email us at um, hey at uxpodcast.com and that's either hey with a Y or hey with a J. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Knock, knock. Who's there? Two fours. Two fours who? No need to make lunch today. We already ate. <laughs> you get that? <laughs> it, it, it probably works better if you don't have a whole accent. It's like, um, we already ate. Oh, Because two, now two fours. It. Thank you. Two fours are eight. <laughs> <laughs> No, that, that, that was geeky. <laughs> <laughs>